This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular, personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions. The 2024 World Economic Forum at Davos has painted a complex picture. It's a market bringing with potential, but shrouded in uncertainty. Delegates fretted about whether the tensions between economic optimism and growing political pressure would dampen this year's growth. AI, an unexpected VIP in 2023, dominated discussions as a guest of honour this year, as delegates considered the role of rapidly evolving technologies in solving some of the global economy's greatest challenges, from climate to health. While the continued strength of the US economy and expectations around interest rate cuts in 2024 did buoy optimism among business leaders, concerns around record temperature, the impacts of extreme weather events, societal polarisation, cybersecurity threats and the ongoing challenges presented by the cost of loan crisis at the front and centre. Our own activities reflected the growing importance of the global consensus building in tackling these challenges. Our flagship reports on global risks from Marshall McLennan, on generative AI and climate and human health from Oliver Wyman, and the launch of Mercer's longevity pr- principles spoke to the depth of our work with clients to diagnose problems and to build solutions to some of today's most pressing challenges. I'm lucky to have two of MMC's leaders join me on the ground at Davos, Pat Tomlinson, President and soon-to-be CEO of Mercer, and Nick Studer, CEO of Oliver Wyman, as my guest. By way of introduction, I'm Amy Barnes, Head of Climate Sustainability Strategy at Marsh, and I'll be your host today. So, Pat, Nick, it's great to have you with us. Let's get started. Nick, can I start with you? How would you describe the mood on the ground and what were your key takeaways from the whole week's discussion? I mean, the one thing I'd say is both your voice and my voice are uh, only just about holding up under the pressure of uh, all the conversations from last week. I, I, I do think that in some of these big meetings, and, and Davos is no different, there's a tendency for people to be asked on day one, what's the mood this year? to tell a journalist, and then when they read it in the paper the next day to have their bias confirmed. And you know, I, I saw a wide range of, of views and moods on where we're heading. Um, I think you hit it well. AI and geopolitics was everywhere. I think on the economy, um, people felt more optimistic than a year ago. feels like we're not going to crash. But equally, it doesn't feel as though we're going to boom. And I personally think there's a lot more work to do to beat inflation with some of the supply chain shocks we've seen, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. So for me, we're sort of in a bit of a narrow sideways pattern where companies are really, really going to have to outcompete. Um, but but in general, I think a lighter mood, concern about geopolitics, concern about domestic politics, and again, I look forward to getting into that part of the conversation, um, but making progress against some of the big challenges of the day. I, the, the point you make about actually having to compete while the economy is a little bit more than stagnant, it means you really need to show differentiation. Everyone's not going to float on a rising tide. Pat, do those challenges resonate with you? Were, were there other themes that you picked up on? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, certainly building on building what Nick said, um, you know, the AI component was definitely one. Now, this was my, let me start. This was my, my first experience at Davos. So I don't, I don't, um, didn't know exactly what to expect. Uh, and certainly, um, got to feel the energy and it was amazing, uh, between the sessions and between all the meetings that you have with, with clients and partners, uh, and to see the impact that, that, that the group of them trying to have on the world, which was, which was fantastic. Um, but for me, uh, one of the pieces that came out on a lot of uh, components was actually tied to the major theme of the World Economic Forum, which was around trust, right? And that kind of came up quite a bit in, in various discussions I had, um, especially considering we work a lot with employers. Uh, and uh, most research suggests that the people in, uh, in the world today feel that employers are the most trusted institution. In fact, many over... They're over governments and, and other organizations that they're affiliated with. Um, makes a lot of sense considering how much time we spend it, uh, at work and things like that. And uh, that, that employer-employee relationship uh, that most have. Um, but it really kind of affirmed the opportunity that employers have to advance in the areas that we operate, right? Which is predominantly around health and the impact that they're going to have there. Uh, financial resilience and components uh, around longevity that we were talking about. And then this component around how do we ensure that people continue to have thriving, productive careers when the topic that Nick brought up is everywhere, right? AI. And a little bit of concern around what does AI bring? Uh, there were some very provocative speakers out there that really um, kind of had us thinking about what the future might look like a few years from now uh, with AI. Uh, but I definitely think that that was those were the kind of major themes that I felt came out. Um, another, you know, and then another key piece for me was was access. It came through as a big topic, right? Um, and for healthcare, uh, it was about access based on financial resources and cost of of healthcare, but also, you know, the physical location and the number of healthcare professionals that there are. Uh, and honestly, as we look into the future. That that is you know that that's expected to be versus the population major concerns around that uh, and then the speed that people can gain access to healthcare becoming a real challenge around the world even in areas where where healthcare is provided uh, as part of um, as part of a, a government uh, government healthcare system uh, just being able to uh, the time it takes to be able to see a specialist or to see a physician. Um, and then, of course, a lot of discussions that kind of ties to what Nick was talking about as, earlier as well with the conversation around AI is how can we use technology or AI or analytics uh, and digital components to really improve this and improve um, uh, the situation and, and remove gaps to health equity is what I would say. So if I can build on on, on that, the theme of trust that you raised, Pat, um, I was in a session with Al Gore where he said very flatteringly of the Global Risk Report that it is the Risk Oversight Committee for the world. Um, and of course, the number one risk in that document is misinformation and disinformation. And that has to be driven to a very large extent that over 50% of the population living in democracies will be voting this year. Now, those elections are also happening in a time of extraordinarily geopolitical unrest. And so, Nick, I know you spent a lot of time, the work you've been doing on Ukraine, you've been spending a lot of time on geopolitics. How did geopolitics show up? And, and if you can try and weave in that trust theme as well. Yeah, I think geopolitics is always present 
in the World Economic Forum discussions, it has to be because it's such a multipolar gathering in what is an increasingly multipolar world. Um, but for me, uh, it was a simple statement at the Marshall Clinton dinner, which most caught my attention. And it seems almost obvious, but our speaker said, wars and conflicts are one of the most unpredictable events you can have. And I think it's just a good reminder of the volatility that they can create. I, I think you're also right to point at there's politics and geopolitics. And um, yeah, five of the six most populous, populous democracies are going to vote this year. Um, we feel in many countries in which we operate, certainly in the US and in many European countries, that we spent a good 20 years where markets led politics. But we're definitely back in an era where politics lead markets. Um, and that's important. And, and trust in institutions is something that has been sh shaken um, by populist movements. Um, and and that, that can be a big challenge for businesses that are trying to plan. Uh, with any kind of uncertainty. On the geopolitical front, we've had you know, the continuing US and China tensions. You've got the rise of India um, as people reconsider the concentration of their supply chains, which let's face it, any risk manager would tell you it wasn't a great move in the first place. Um, you're seeing much more uh, diversification and, and countries like uh, India, like Vietnam, uh, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, all benefiting from the rise in sort of nearshoring or friendshoring. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, as I touched on earlier, I think that some of the Houthi-led disruption in the Red Sea uh, and the, the sort of potential expansion of trouble in the Middle East, it, it was a sobering reminder while we were there that uh, Iran attacked several of its neighbors. Uh, I think that will continue to potentially fuel inflation. And so that's something that, businesses need to take into account as well. Um, so geopolitics, planning around it, uh, scenario planning, um, I think is a really important part of the toolkit. And, and so, and Pat, you, you, you spent a lot more time given the, the wealth business that you also lead. Um, so that really shines a spotlight on a lot of the challenges. But as, as, uh, as Marshall McLennan, we also like to think about the solutions. So Pat, over to you. Where are some of the bright spots um, that you saw and some of the solutions that we think may be coming out and, and maybe using AI as a tool for that. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that we, we did see some bright spots and some great conversations in some of the sessions that, uh, that we hosted. Um, I thought that in general uh, there was good optimism uh, around, while, while there's many instability in the world, good optimism around the economy in 2024, people feel in the short term, uh, they felt pretty, they felt pretty solid. Um I do think that there's a lot of optimism around the potential while there's risk, but still optimism around the potential of AI. That became a really good conversation as we talked about earlier in, the, in here. But uh, there was a real genuine um, thought about what is possible, which I felt like a bright spot. Um, the fact that we're starting to have conversations around longevity felt like a bright spot. This is a risk that we have felt is there for a good period of time around the aging population and the burden that's going to be placed. But the fact that we're starting to have that conversation felt like a, 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 real, a real bright spot. And then um, the components around how we're thinking about um, how to advance uh, health through technology uh, really also uh, wound up being a bright spot in a lot of my conversations with clients. 
Thank you, Nick. Nick, did, did you find bright spots around AI and employment? And um, Oliver Wine produced a report on AI and employment. Where, where, where are the reason, were there reasons to be optimistic in that report? I think many reasons to be optimistic. The, the front cover had this kind of um, optical illusion, which you could look at as either a duck or a rabbit. And that was the theme of the report, the sort of duality, a double-edged nature to a lot of what we're seeing with AI. I think the first thing to observe is we did two very large sample surveys nine months apart last year. And over that period, penetration of the use of AI by those people in the workplace broke through the 50% barrier. That was the fastest technology we've ever seen get to majority usage. And interestingly, led by developing, well, I think the number was above 80% in India um, and a little bit below 50% in the US and in Europe. Um, secondly, we're seeing almost like it was described in the panel as a pincer, whereby senior leaders are persuaded of the opportunities from AI. At the same time, employees are keen to use AI. And so the real challenge is how do we create institutional grade solutions that can really help us do business differently? Um, you know, Further harnessing the duality, 60% of people fear job losses as a result of AI. 96% of people felt that it's a really helpful tool to enhance their productivity. Um, and you can sort of go on and on. Um, we produced a little graphic with the good, the bad, and everything in between. And the good is talking about you know, 300 billion hours of work saved globally every year, which at the time when many of our countries are in a bit of a demographic shrinkage is, is probably something that's not just helpful but necessary. Um, at the bad end, uh, yeah, there's a fear that, that AI... Uh, exacerbates inequality. Um, and I think the survey suggested that 84% of employees reported exposing their company's proprietary data uh, to the public realm in AI in the last three months. So, so things to manage. Uh, I quite like some of the everything in between comments. Uh, I think 28% of the people in the survey believe that Gen AI can capture the depth of human emotion. And our panelists shared some live examples of that, including cases where the AI solution had been far more empathetic in creating cases around some people management and HR management matters. Um, and 13% of people surveyed expressed interest in developing a romantic bond with generative AI. So that was nice too. <laughs> I love the fact that question ended on humanity because that, that was only my third Davos. Nick, I know it was like your 27th Davos, but I, I found that, that humanity was very present. There was Pat, you've already called out the amount that health, mental health and physical health, people in AI. I felt, felt it was really quite a people-centric conversation. Um, my top three takeaways, you won't be surprised, all relate to climate. Uh, I think firstly that climate has matured from being a headline into being embedded into many, most, all of the conversations. I think secondly, business needs to be thinking about the impact of climate on people. Um, and then Finally, a massive impatience to solve the carbon markets. Um, now, if I could ask each of you to sum up in three themes, but instead of three themes, you guys get three words, what would they be? Uh, and what is one key challenge that you would expect to be at the forefront as a result of your work over the next year? Pat. Um, okay, three words. Uh, I think I'm going to put three words together as opposed to three unique words. Um, I think it, I'm going to talk about our perspectives resonate, right? The value of Marsh McLennan perspectives really resonating with clients and, and impact. I think that would be for me where it was. And, and then the, the question on challenges, right? The key challenges, 
And I think I'm going to stick with this common theme that I've spoken about so far um, through the podcast uh, that clients will have to work broadly to address. And that's about access at scale, right? Because we've talked, I've talked a bit about access, but this component of being able to do it at scale, I think is a key challenge as we think about it going forward. Some, some quick examples from across each of our businesses at Mercer, you know, we we have um, healthcare access, like we've talked about earlier for populations, especially well-being, mental health. You just highlighted that really critical and access for that because of the, the shortage of, uh, of um, practitioners, um, high cost specialty pharma access, a real challenge. These are the types of things that access at scale. How do you get enough people to them? Um, if you quickly, we, we uh, on the wealth side, um, access to alternative investment advice at scale, right? So alternative investment advice, but kind of not just for big, but also how can you do it at scale? That was really a key piece of a recent acquisition we just announced. Where we're going to um, be acquiring the Vanguard non-for-profit OCO uh, business. Um, in the U.S., and I think that's going to allow us to uh, bring a lot of our bigger ideas around alternatives at scale to these smaller endowments and foundations, which will really help them uh, advance their mission. So how can they do that and get access to things at scale there? And then finally, on this common theme that we've seen over here on AI, um, the thing that I'm hearing from a lot of clients is great. This is It's great to see. It's great research. It's great potential. But I think most of them are talking about how do I test and learn right now, right? I got to try this. But then how do I find the areas that, that I can scale, that the client can scale across their workforce to get the benefit, right? Um, and have it not be an individual activity, but really what are the areas across their highest volume core activities and their entire workforce? And I think those are the challenges that we're really going to um, that we're going to see. It's really this access at scale component. So Nick, where would you go with your three words and your challenges? Um, so I think the three words I would choose, firstly, I would choose nature. And I choose nature because you haven't talked about it, but but also, you know, there are, there are some fairly gloomy predictions on our ability to hit our Paris Accord climate targets. And but nature is the buffer. Nature is the thing which will help us clean it up if we overshoot. And I was involved in a lot of conversations this year about uh, the effects of nature, how to preserve nature, how to incent better harmony with nature. Um, you know, half of the world's GDP and 100% of the world's people depend on it. So we better get that one right. That's a word and a challenge. Um, I, I think you, you, I wasn't going to have this in my list, but you said human. And I, I think that does actually capture something quite important. We have this notion of alignment of love and rigor. And that's my sort of view of the necessary pairing. Uh, if you try to run a business, or frankly, for that matter, a family, children, um, with all love and no rigor, then you know you end up in one place. If you end up with all rigor and no love, you end up in another place. They have to come together. And I do think that at times, the economic dialogue swings too much to one end of that. And I think sometimes the social dialogue swings too much to the love end of that. And I, I saw those two things being a little bit more imbalanced this year, human solutions. Um, and then my third word would be rosier. I'm an optimist by nature. Um, I do think that as humans, we know that we are psychologically programmed to focus on the risks because that's what protects us. So the sort of risk report is, is very, very helpful in that. Um, but 
Uh, I see enormous progress being made in solving some of these problems. And, and the World Economic Forum is a useful way of reminding ourselves about that. If you think about the advances from genetic medicine and new vaccines, we've got multiple vaccines for malaria now. Technological advances in AI we've talked about, but what about quantum computing? And in the physical world, you know, COP and Davos both reminded me that we're making progress on energy and on carbon emissions. And we're innovating in, in robotics, in communications, in mobility, and in, in space exploration, um, in a whole host of things. And and, and I also think that um, on this on this topic of sort of balance of love and rigor, um, I, I think that the political discourse is is just as polarized as it has been. But in a strange way, I think we're at a point where I hear quite loud voices on both ends of the spectrum. And that actually helps the moderates pick a path down the middle. Um, and so for me, Rosier would be my third world, my third word. I like it. So with that word, with Rosie, I think we'll conclude. Thank you so much, Nick and Pat, for your insights. And thank you, everyone, for listening and tolerating my voice. You can find all of the reports mentioned in this podcast at Marshall McLennan's website at www.marshmclennan.com. Thank you. <laughs>